All right, that's all, that's all we got. Uh, let's turn in our Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 26. While you find that, I'll remind you that um, uh, we teach through books of the Bible in here. We've been through the book of Hebrews. We took a break over the summer while a number of things happened surgically and, uh, and all that. Here we are back again, but um, this is our fourth installment on John 15, and we will... There's a 68% chance we'll be back in Hebrews next week unless I sneak in a passage from Isaiah for one week. I'm not really sure yet. So we'll, we'll be in Hebrews either next Sunday or the next Sunday, uh, but we wrap up a four-part uh, series on John 15, and uh, here we conclude with uh, verse 26 through uh, the first few verses of 16. So this is God's Word, John 15, verse 26. The sermon starts now. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will indeed put you out of the synagogues. Uh, excuse me, put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been leading worship at, uh, at church for a, a long time, and uh, I've, I've seen a lot of worship ministers, I've known a lot of worship ministers, I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of worship ministers, and there's a, for, for a younger worship leader or an inexperienced worship leader, they come onto a church scene, and there's a, there's a misconception, and here's the misconception. The misconception is a worship leader comes to a new congregation, moves in town, and he goes, oh, Wait till they get a load of this. Um, the attitude is, I'm going to take this church and move it to a new place, a new and better place. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in. They don't know me at all. But I'm going to come in and I'm going to show them this stuff that I do. And they're going to fall in love with it. They're going to love it. They're going to go, oh, that's what we've needed all this time, you genius. Um, that's wonderful, and, and uh, they're just going to fall in love with what you've done, and that is how the worship leader thinks he is going to affect change and move a, a music program forward. Actually, the exact opposite is true. The exact opposite is a worship leader comes in, he listens to the congregation. He gets to know the congregation. He gets to know that culture. He observes what they do, what they're comfortable with, what stage of maturity they are musically and theologically, and he, he earns an ear, he listens, and then he slowly affects change by pointing them in a good direction. That's really how it works, not, oh, look at this, behold the glory, now you'll fall in love with it and you'll just follow me. That's not how it works. It's the opposite. And I start that way because that is also a prevalent attitude, I believe, in evangelism, especially in a theological system that says we've got to sell the atonement. We've got to sell 
the cross. We've got to have an awesome brochure, and we go, look how wonderful this is. I mean, when you're in the hospital, you can pray, and uh, oh, the Christian life is just full of wonders that you don't know, and look at the Savior. Um, we kind of think, I think a lot, a lot of times in Christianity, again, in a theological system that says you've got to sell the atonement rather than the God who secured the atonement is the God who secures the sale, so to speak, secures uh, the conversion um, rather than us having, to, having the, to, to hawk it. Now, the reality, if you believe the Savior himself, is very different than the church making up a great brochure or having a great presentation and all. Uh, even the living of, of, a, of a comely life before the eyes of the, the, the watching world, that, that's, that's important to do. But don't think that the living of a comely life in front of a watching world is going to have people go, oh, well, I've seen you, and uh, so now uh, show me what you got. There, that, there is a reality to that, that, w- that, we're, that we're different from other people in this world, and God uses that. I mean, that's what this passage teaches, and we'll talk about that. But Ladies and gentlemen, the big idea here today, and it's very clearly put uh, by, by the gospel writer, ultimately the uh, Holy Spirit of God, is this. The world will receive you like it received Jesus. That's what Jesus himself is teaching his disciples just hours before he's going to be arrested and put on trial and then crucified. Hours beforehand, right in the shadow of the cross, the disciples know it not. But that's what he's telling them. What did they do? Okay, if the world receives us like they received Jesus, how did they receive Jesus? They killed him. They killed him to shut him up, to shut up his witness, to shut up his claims. When he talked about tearing down the temple, when he talked about existing before Abraham, I mean, that's a claim to divinity. When he talked about being the exclusive way to God, when he... T- when he um, when he claimed by his, by his dialogue to be the interpreter of the law of God, okay, not a, not a coach, not a rabbi who applies the law or adds to it like they did, but when, when, he, when he claimed to be the divine interpreter saying, this is what God's law meant, this is how God's law really has always applied, when he claimed to do that, he was not misunderstood. The Jews understood him. They knew what he was claiming. They knew he was claiming divinity. He, they knew he was claiming uh, eternality. They knew he was claiming to be the divine uh, uh, arbitrator of the law. They understood that, and they despised him. And, of course, uh, they didn't understand unto salvation. That's true. They didn't understand unto, unto salvation. That's why the passage will go on to say in chapter 16, verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Okay, so they didn't understand unto salvation, but they knew what the Savior was saying. They heard him, they understand him, they understood him, and that's why they wanted to kill him. I mean, when he would make a claim of divinity, they would go, oh, we got you. We understand exactly what you're saying, Jesus. Now let's get some stones and try to kill him. They understood, but they didn't receive him. And so all the more for the necessity of this helper, uh, in verse 26, this helper who comes who will bear witness uh, proceeding from the Father. All right, so let's go to our first uh, point of four. Eh. The helper will come. Now let's go to the passage here, um, uh, verse 26. It says, but when the helper comes. Now you know I love to stop um, and 
point out that context is important, and uh, it really is important here. Verse 26, but when the helper comes, um, it, you know, they, they, it says, uh, continues to say, um, uh, you know, they, they hated me without cause. That's basically what's at, at the end of verse 25. The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. That, that's the springboard into chapter uh, uh, 15, verse 26. But when the helper comes, Jesus saying in verse 24, they hated both me and my father. And it's in that light that Jesus says, but. How about uh, verse uh, 21 of the same uh, passage? Um, uh, All these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Um, So when when Jesus says um, in verse 26, but, it's implied that um, the resistance he knew, the resistance that he felt, they would feel too. Um, Now, um, Stay where you are for a second, but let me just flip to something real quick. I love showing these passages. Um, Mark's got uh, some strong um, things like this. Luke's got one. You don't have to turn, but um, I'm going to have you look at something in a second. But, but listen to this. This is in Luke chapter um, 18, verse 31. Listen. Taking the 12, the 12 disciples, he said to them, listen to this. This is amazing. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man, that's Jesus talking about himself, by the prophets, that's all of the Old Testament, will be accomplished. He's saying it all points to and culminates in me. Okay? Everything that's written um, points to me. That's why we're going up to Jerusalem. Verse 32 of Luke 18, he says, For he will be delivered, he's talking about himself, over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But the disciples understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was being said. But is that not amazing? Jesus knows what he's doing. As he's, as he's coming into Jerusalem, um, as he, and that's in, that's in Luke, he's coming into Jerusalem. He knows what he's going there for now. He, he's, he's not tripped up. He doesn't get caught up in some crazy riotous mob and, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. He knows where he's going. He knows what his destiny is, what his task is, all right? So that said, the disciples had heard that, but they didn't quite understand. Let's look at a few things in the Gospel of John itself. Uh, flip back just a little bit to chapter 12, verse 32. Chapter 12, verse 32. Um. Jesus speaking, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die, lifted up from the earth. Um, Lifted up was he to die. That's what that song is talking about. Um, uh, For a little bit more clarity, back up just a little bit to chapter 10, verse 14. Jesus again speaking, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, yet, in other words. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. That is clarity as to what Jesus came to do, a clarity as to his, um, his understanding of his role. He, he divinely and humanly knew what he was there to accomplish. So let me show you one more thing, and also in the Gospel of John, flip back to chapter 3, verse 14. This precedes, by the way, the biggie, the big famous uh, end zone verse, um, chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So you want the accursedness to be removed? The, uh, the object of accursedness is lifted up. Belief in that uh, as a gift from God is the answer. And that's why John 3.16 shows up on the heels of that. Did you know that? About Jesus being lifted up to die for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now here, uh, in our passage, the disciples are not quite knowing that within hours, their master will be dead. And even after his, he's resurrected, um, he will depart from them. They do not know it yet. Um, and what Jesus is preparing them for is this. He's going to leave, but they will not be alone. The helper is coming. Verse 26 of our passage, when the helper comes. Now, you notice the word helper in uh, verse 26 is capitalized. And uh, the importance is this, that the helper is personified. Whoever this helper is, he's personified. And that's important because it's not an it. It's not the helper with a small H, some kind of weird Star Wars uh, force karma kind of mojo thing. It's not that at all. It's not some kind of mysterious weirdness that, uh, well, we all have this optimism or something. He is the person of the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity. Um, it's not a concoction, our witness, but it's a ministry of the Spirit of God personally. That's what Jesus is saying. There's a personal helper uh, who will come and be with you. Now, application for your life. If you look up that verse, uh, verse 26 of chapter 15, um, and you look it up in multiple translations, you'll see that most of them say helper. Most of them say helper. But some of them may say counselor. Some of them say um, comforter. Some say advocate, and a couple say what it really literally is, which is paraclete. Um, the idea of paraclete is um, that, uh, uh, that of Jesus' personal and uh, present representative. Um, skip on ahead to chapter 16, verse uh, 7. So just let your eyes fall down just a little bit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is an application for you. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I mean, no question in Jesus' mind that this is a person who is coming to help, not a force. Don't ever call the Holy Spirit an it. He's a he. 
He's the Holy Spirit of God. He's the third person of the Trinity um, coming forth, proceeding forth from the Father and the Son. Now, even as I say that, that the Holy Spirit is a person, um, I still think Christians um, don't truly believe that. They, they don't truly believe that it's better that Jesus left. I mean, Jesus is saying it. Um, it's to your advantage that I go away. I mean, that's in the Bible, but there's still a secret part of us that it's like, but still, I wish that I could have walked with Jesus. I mean, it would have been great if I could have been hanging out with him and uh, jumping in the lake with him and, uh, you know, doing all that kind of stuff with him and observing his, his holily lived life. I mean, wouldn't that be better? Per Jesus, no, it wouldn't be better. Friends, it wouldn't be better. It's better that Jesus left. It's better that Jesus, when he was resurrected, didn't stay, but ascended and is holding session now with the Father. It's better. It's to your advantage because the Holy Spirit of God has come. Beloved, you think things like, I just wish Jesus could be sitting on the couch with me. How fun would that be for this personal God to be with me, just like right in this room sitting right next to me, like those two people over there who are visiting. They're right. Wouldn't it be cool if Jesus was right there? Ladies and gentlemen, he is. I mean, the Spirit of God is. The, 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 the Trinity saved you. The, the, Father, the Father came up with a plan the Son implemented that plan. The Spirit brings life and illuminates truth and counsels and comforts and helps. Um, you know, folks, um, I, I've been to Cuba two times on a mission trip. It was really amazing. The first time was so different than the second time. Uh, the second time, um, it was like, hey, bueno, come on in. Spend some money here, and uh, hey, Americans, Obama, you know. The first time, they held our luggage, and uh, they were looking through stuff, and uh, Ken Killebrew and I had to stand separate from each other. We were told, hey, don't talk to each other, and I mean, it was so much fun. I totally deserted Ken. Um, you know, these, these scary people in uniforms that come up, what are you doing in our country? What are you doing here? Well, what's your business? And uh, we're like, tourista. Uh, you know, you want to say we're on a mission trip to evangelize and hopefully, uh, you know, win souls to Christ and if communism's overthrown, that's not a bad byproduct either. No, that wasn't our answer. We were like a tourista, cigars and women, you know. Um, and so, you know, they're asking this of Ken, Ken Killabeer and me, and, uh, and I'm like, see you, buddy. Uh, we were told to separate from each other, and it was so funny because we're both doing the same thing people do to us. They're like... They, they spoke English so well. What, was, what is your purpose? And we're like, on the plane. You know, we're just making up gibberish like hot dogs. We don't, we're, we're like pretending we don't understand their pristine English. But um, <laughs> all to say, um, in, in, what was my point again? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, the, so the first time we go down there, it was, it was so different than six years later. So different. Um, the first time, down, you know, the second time down there, you could call home from the hotel phone. Uh, it was so easy to check in and call home and, uh, and connect and all that stuff. But the first time, not easy. And we were told on the front end, um, just plan on not talking to your spouse or family or anybody else for five solid days. There's, you're just not going to get home. And so I got online 
And I started fumbling around. And, and the reason is their satellite system won't talk to our satellite system. A ca- the capitalist uh, telephones won't talk to the communist satellites. Okay? They don't like each other at all. And um, so I got online and I found this, this company and you could rent a world phone. Uh, it was like routed through Finland and, you know, uh, Swiss land or whatever they call it. And it was just like routed circuitously, different satellite system that lets you call. And they would mail overnight you a phone. You used it with a certain amount of minutes on it. It was super expensive, you know, $3 a minute or whatever. Uh, and then when it was over, there was a prepaid thing. You would send it back. And so I got one. And I've always respected the fact that Ken did too. So out of six guys on that trip, we were the two guys who had it, and we were made fun of somewhat mercilessly. Oh, yeah, big sacrifice for Jesus. Can't even be apart from your wife, you big baby. Uh, five days, you can just can't, you got to call home to mommy, don't you? Ha, ha, ha. And, um, but you know what? When we were in Cuba and a tornado came through Germantown, and then went and destroyed Union University. Do you remember that? You know what I was doing? I was sitting on an 80... It was the craziest thing. I was sitting on the shoreline, looking out at the water, in front of a quite dilapidated building held up by scaffolding, just falling apart. And I was sitting on a shine chair that was probably 80 years old. I mean, just falling apart and dirty and dusty. I was sitting on a shine chair, not a soul in, in, in view. I'm staring at the water. I'm by these dilapidated ruins, and I'm on the fold with my wife, and she's in the bathroom with the dog during the tornado. My point is, I was mysteriously present with her <laughs> from afar, but in a way, I was there. I wasn't cut off from her. I was present with her in a sense. And what I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, is there's no situation in which the believer is without the personal presence of God. I mean, that illustration falls apart real quick because I can't do anything about a tornado. But the point is, in a real way, I was sitting in the dry bathtub with her and a dog, (laughs) Uh, influencing her life and being with her in the midst of a trial. And the focus here, of course, is the continuing ministry of Jesus Christ. Yes, the eye is on the weary world and her need for divine and eternal help. But part of the continued ministry of the Holy Spirit of God and Jesus Christ concerns your spiritual welfare. I mean, part of um, helping the weary world is growing up the... uh, weary and challenged saints. And uh, please be encouraged by that, ladies and gentlemen, that in this life, uh, in your own personal battles and challenges, which I know people have felt and experienced, I know this, um, and in our witness to the world, you are not without the personal and eternal and divine presence of God, always with you. It's to your advantage that Christ left. All right, second point. Um, The work will advance. It will. Look at verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Uh, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. Now, there the Bible goes again. Uh, The very guys who were with Jesus from the beginning are now being told that there's a real threat that they might fall away. There's a pressure on them that these guys who walked with Jesus and hung out with them and were in the, in the water with them and all that kind of stuff, supped with them and everything, there's a real threat 
a real threat that they might be compromised and maybe fall away. And another lesson from the Bible uh, here as to why it's better that Jesus left and the Holy Spirit, the helper, has come, the counselor. Um, Now the Holy Spirit is with with us, and um, the Bible gets down to business. Verse 27, you will um, bear witness. You will bear witness. You will. Uh, There's a future witness coming, and he, the Holy Spirit of God, will produce in us, in these guys and in us, a duty and a calling, um, a a perseverance to carry this gospel message. Now, do do, do they uh, still bear witness? Uh, Yes, you are doing it today. You bear witness uh, as well. You know, folks, um, when we did college ministry here years ago, like 17 years ago, um, you know, Ron and Nikki Stewart met in our college ministry, and uh, quite a few did too. In fact, well, I'll just tell you, we'll go through a dry spell of six months or so where we don't see anybody from old, the old days, Club Savory in our college ministry here. Well, it was, it was booming for a time, booming. Wasn't it just booming for a time? Booming. I mean, so exciting. So many people at that house in, in, uh, at Poplar and Massey. I mean, it was just a cove full of cars all the way down the street. It was so so exhilarating and fun and wild. Um, and so six months will go by, we won't see anybody. And then all of a sudden in one week, I'll run into three people. And it's the craziest thing. I, I was in the Kroger parking lot about a month ago and this mom was uh, pushing her cart and had two little kids in tow. And, and, uh, and she's looking at me and she's like, oh, hey, hey, hey. And uh, she said, I just want you to know that we were in your college ministry uh, for uh, five months or six months uh, years ago, and it was just impacting in our life. And now we go to blah, 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 and I married and our kids and all this stuff. And, and man, it's just so satisfying to see yet another mom, you know. I've gotten stopped at the Starbucks. And uh, one time we were at a wet- I was at a wedding here, and some young guy comes up, and he goes, hey, I know you don't know me, but for two months just kind of passing through town. I wasn't even from here. I just happened to be with a friend in Memphis for a summer. And for two months, we came to your college Bible study. And he told me, he said, I know you don't know my face. I don't know you remember my name. We just kind of slid into that big ministry. And he said, as a result of that ministry, the Lord used that to bring me into full-time vocational ministry. I've been through seminary and now I'm a reverend, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, and you are again? You know, I have no recollection of him ever. But my point is, that happens in all of our lives. I mean, you invest in someone, you invest in your own kids, you live your lives before your family and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. An opportunity arises for you to love like Jesus loves or, or give, give a, a pointer to the gospel. The Holy Spirit uses you, and you don't know who's going to listen and who's not going to listen. Um, you know, I, I, I heard a guy speak on a retreat uh, for our church, actually, once, and um, it was at Fall Creek Falls. And uh, he said, uh, I had no idea. He, he was, he was the, he's a reverend. He, we brought him in. He taught at Fall Creek Falls. And he goes, I uh, was the preacher. Or no, he said, he said, I was at Fall Creek Falls as a junior high kid, and I got saved when, when Jim Umloff was up there preaching. Had no idea. And he goes and leaves the seminary, and, I don't, and now he's teaching that same thing. Is that not wild? Well, I got no control over that. I'm just a guy going, nah, 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 nah. Somebody believes, somebody doesn't believe, but it's the helper 
It's the, the, the Spirit of God who brings life and illuminates truth and so on. But my point is, Jesus is telling them, you will bear witness about me. Are you redeemed? Are you redeemed? You will bear witness to the Savior. You will. You will not have control over who comes to Jesus Christ. You won't. But you will bear witness. Now, application for your life. If the Holy Spirit is doing ministry through you, if the Holy Spirit is furthering Christ's ministry through you, what exactly is he doing? Well, he's doing this. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. The Holy Spirit gives life to dry bones, your dry bones. The Holy Spirit illuminates truth, lets those dry bones have understanding. Life has been given uh, illumination. The Holy Spirit gives conviction. The, the Holy Spirit um, administers uh, the gospel um, through uh, his, his compelling us to love. And isn't it buffeting? Isn't it comforting to know that the same Spirit who wrote God's Word who reveals truth, who um, reveals, uh, illuminates the truth within that word, applies God's word to our hearts and understanding. Isn't it an encouragement to know that uh, that God is going to see us through the trials and fractures of this life uh, so that our flawed witness is used of God? You will bear witness. The reason you'll bear witness is not that you're a smarty pants. Uh, it's not because your witness is, is perfect. I mean, the world observed Jesus' perfectly lived life. It further complicates things that you don't have a perfectly lived life. I mean, you love the Lord Jesus and you desire to do his will and there are things that are different about you, but you have a flawed life. You make mistakes on your job and people observe those things too. But rest assured, it's the spirit working through you. You will bear witness. Uh, the, the kingdom will be furthered. All right, uh, hustling along here. Our third point, opposition is expected. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they're offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Let's start with verse 2. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Now, that's interesting. The disciples would surely have started in the synagogues. That's what the Apostle Paul did, right? He would go to a new town, and he would go, okay, uh, let's see, I'm new to town. Uh, where am I going to go to preach this gospel message? He'd go right to the synagogues. Now, why would he go to the synagogues? Well, um, guess what? The disciples were Jewish, and they were preaching to an audience that was Jewish, and their message concerned a uh, saving messianic rabbi who was Jewish. Where else would they go but the synagogue? But what's so powerful about that is they preach the authentic gospel in the synagogue to the Jews about a Jewish savior, about a Messiah who was promised to the Jewish people, discerned by the Jewish hearers, but some would come to believe and some would come to loathe. Um, and so that period of preaching in the synagogues would come to an end, okay, as, as Christianity, the gospel message, was shored up. Um, but um, let me slow down for a second. Um, when, I, um, when I worked at, criminal, at, at General Sessions Court, you know, I worked at 201 Poplar for about nine months, all right? It's fascinating. 201 Poplar, worked there for about nine months. Um, 
I don't know if there are any government employees here, but uh, probably not. But uh, let me just tell you if, you, if you have an attitude about government employees, oh, they're so slow, oh, what a lot of waste in the government and all that, let me just assure you, it's bloody true. Uh, I show up on the scene and I'm like, hey, everybody, let's do a good job with the taxpayer's money. And... Um, you know, I'm racing around and people need something and I'm whizzing down the hall and I'm giving it to them and going, hey, here you go. Hey, hey, hey. You know how many times people stop me? I mean, in the first few weeks, they would stop me. Literally, it was one of those things where they stop you and almost hold your arms so you don't get away and they look at you in your face and, and I, uh, several people would did this. They said, slow down. And they weren't worried for my ticker, you know? They, they were... They're like, you're messing up the bloated system. And the other thing that I would love to do is, you know, we'd get a bomb threat about once every two weeks. I mean, once every two weeks, some poor guy was going, man, I ain't going. He was doing a bong hit, and he's going, I'm not, I'm not going to my court case today. I, I just I don't want to go through all that, blah, blah, blah. So they call up, and they do a bomb threat. It happened every couple of weeks. And when that would happen, here's what would happen. There was a siren, and I could do it. I'm going to take my microphone off so you can hear it. I, I had it down. I would have so much fun doing it. I would just do it in the hall, and I'd watch people's reaction. It sounded like this. And we would all, we would all know to go to a certain exit. And, I mean, I would do that sound just to watch their faces go... It's like the best thing ever because it was going to burn an hour and 15 minutes of standing out there doing, not doing work and getting paid. Well, all that to say, ladies and gentlemen, my work ethic, my wanting to do a good job, my wanting to be faithful to the taxpayers and faithful to my God and be a good employee, it was hated. And you know, there's a quote from Othello, um, Shakespeare's Othello, he hath a daily beauty in his life that makes me ugly. Now, I'm not saying that I was a beautiful employee, but I'm saying that we live our lives as Christians. We're flawed, it's true, but the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. We're existing in this world that's not our home, and we look different. And it's not the attractive thing that we think it is until the Holy Spirit giveth life. And one of the beautiful mysteries of the gospel to apply it to your life is that God uses these flawed messengers and uh, our lives are exemplary, uh, exemplary, but they're flawed and yet still people come to believe. And you know, even in churches, uh, churches make mistakes and leadership makes mistakes and there's this notorious shame brought upon the church and yet the, the church progresses. The kingdom will not perish. It just won't perish because God is doing the advancing. So we feel that resistance in this world, but just actually it's a confirmation of the fact that the Holy Spirit is working. All right, our last point, uh, the remembrance is secured. Look at verse four. We're almost done. But I said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I'm going to flip ahead real fast, uh, just for sake of time. He was in the James Peter. Um, this is in 1 Peter 4. Just listen to this. Um, 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory 
and of God rests upon you. And I mean, Jesus even says it in the Beatitudes that if you're persecuted because of his righteousness, um, it, it's, a, it's a blessing. Uh, and so in our passage here, it says, you will remember the stuff that I told you. How will you remember, ladies and gentlemen? How will they remember? They'll remember because the helper has come. All right? The world will receive you like it received Jesus. No shock there. But you'll remember the stuff. Now, what are you going to remember? You're going to remember the Word of God as it's been delivered to you. The disciples will remember that the Old Testament applied to Jesus. They'll remember the words of Jesus. They'll remember the gospel of Jesus. They'll remember these things. And they'll remember the stuff that the Helper has written uh, post their time with Jesus. And the point is, you are not alone. Uh, lastly, um, uh, we're, we're almost done here. Um, you know, I, I've, I've taken classes from, seminary classes from Reformed Theological Seminary. It took about a dozen hours there. That's where Dr. Young graduated. Then I left there, went to Covenant Seminary, got my degree there, left there. Now I'm back at RTS doing some more stuff. And... Um, I'll tell you, it's, it's funny. In the Reformed world, I mean, you know, Dr. Young's Presbyterian, but we're not in a Presbyterian church. So you know what that means? We're mavericks. We're weird. We're out of bounds. And uh, so when you, when you go to a Reformed seminary where Dr. Young's from, and they say, all right, what are your denominations? And you say, well, we're non-denominational, uh, but our pastor's PCA. I mean, they look at you like, I mean weird, weird, weird. Uh, and then you go to the Presbyterian meeting with Dr. Young, and he's like, oh, chairman, mm, you know, he's got input, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. On the one hand, they respect the heck out of Dr. Young. I mean, he's like, he's like this father voice in the whole thing. At the same time, they think he's nuts, and they think we're all nuts too, and they think you're all nuts. And uh, that's really, honestly, it's one of the things I love about our church, is that it's like this, it's, I like to call it... Um, Oh, not squirrely, but uh, what, what is it? Snappy, scraggly, scrappy, scrappy, that's it. We're, we're scrappy reform people. That's what we are. I love scrappy reform people. Anyway, we're scrappy reform people and, and reformed reform people. Uh, the TAs or the, uh, you know, TRAs look at us and they go, ooh, ew, weirdos, you know. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, um, concerning you, if you really have been plucked out of a kingdom of darkness and brought into a kingdom of light, a dominion of sin into a dominion of righteousness. If you really live a life that's governed um, by, um, by Christ and his beauty in the power of his spirit, rather than being governed by self and perceived privileges, um, what would you expect? Don't you think that you would stick out in this world if you were completely different than the dominion and the powers and principalities that rule here? Wouldn't you think you would stick out? You do. All right? And the, and the reality is, per the lips of Jesus, the world will receive you like it received Jesus. But at the same time, friends, you are never alone. Christ's work continues by and through and in the power of the helper who was sent. Let's pray. Father, we pray that uh, our, our labors in this life would be um, handled by you that, uh, yes, Lord, we, we want to live uh, obedient lives. We want to be exemplary. We want to love the way Christ loves so that we're strange in this world. But we confess that we don't have the ability to do that in our own selves. But the helper is here. It's your work through us. And our, our prayer is that we would understand that, not be surprised by resistance, and that you would use us mightily and that a time will come where we're in glory in heaven 
And uh, people will come up to us and say, Christ the King, use you humbly to win my soul. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.